Oxidox 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 Hello, I'm your host John Frankie Kennedy. I love riding the bus to go to Games Workshop to buy some sweet Eldar. I'm so glad you've joined me today. Welcome to Orcs or Dorks, a podcast dedicated to Warhammer 40k and 19th century US politics. Here we'll be loving the elderly, dunking on orcs, and sharing some of our favourite parts of politics, the good old US of A from the 1800s. Who said burning can't live fun? Now on with the show. Learn your alphabet with Warhammer 40,000. The Black Library is bridled by the Black Council. In the Black Library belong the books, scrolls, tomes and codices describing the Eldry's complete and extensive knowledge of the warp. The Black Library is known of only by a few. The Black Library was created by the laughing god Sigurach. The library is bounded by an impenetrable psychic boundary. The Black Library has bubble vaults brimming with forbidden lore. The Black Library is brilliant. Jokes about orcs. Why are orcs safe from zombies? Because zombies eat brains. Why did Corfan Kildaka the orc tiptoe past the medicine cabinet? So he wouldn't wake up the sleeping pills. There was a Tyranid, a Tau and an orc trapped on an island. The nearest land was 50 miles away. The Tyranid swam to land but only made it 15 miles then drowned. The Tau swam 24 miles and then drowned. The orc swam 25 miles, but then got tired, so swam back to the island. A space marine and a sister of silence are having a hot debate about who was the first to leave Terra and set foot on another planet. It's about to turn into a heated fistfight when an orc walks in. The orc says, Who cares? That's nothing. We're going to be the first ones on the sun. The space marine and sister of silence burst out laughing. Then she say to them, Sorry, but you can't go to the sun. You would burn up and die. The orc says, Oh my gosh, we're not idiots. We plan on travelling at night time. An orc transport crash landed on Batalis 3. All the orcs died. <laughs> no, that's not the joke. Let me finish it. An orc transport crash landed on Batalis 3. All the orcs died apart from Korf and Kildaka and Argyll Arbak. They huddled trapped in their snowbound transport getting hungrier and hungrier. Corfang managed to turn out into the snow and shouted back to Argyll, It's chilly out here. Argyll's eyes lit up as he grabbed a spoon and bounded out. Boo! Quit it, man! Boo! Boo! Nineteenth century US politics. We rightly bemoan the state of modern politics and the behaviour of our elected representatives can often be downright embarrassing. But I can't remember the last time they had a proper punch up. Hard to imagine, but that's pretty much what happened on the sixth of february eighteen fifty eight in the House of Representatives. Maybe having to work through the night and into the weekend had already put some noses out of joint, and the debate about Kansas Territory's pro slavery the Compton Constitution entering its umpteenth hour. The Lecanton Constitution had been drafted by the fraudulently elected Kansas Convention, but President Buchanan was keen to admit Kansas as a slave state into the Union, so was seeking Congress's support. 
The fisticuffs all kicked off with Lawrence Keat of South Carolina and abolitionist Galusha Grow of Pennsylvania. Keat had a history of violence in the house, and in 1856 he prevented others from helping abolitionist Charles Sumner as he was savagely beaten by South Carolina representative Preston Brooks. I know politics is often a grey area, but I think we can safely agree that pro-slavery thug Keat is the baddie here. It kicked off when Grow crossed the Democratic side of the chamber to consult a colleague, causing Keat to become enraged and call Grow a black Republican puppy. Grow retorted and the fight was on. At this, the House devolved into what one congressman called a battle royale. More than 30 congressmen joined in the rumble, and in an instant, the House was in the greatest possible confusion, as the Congressional Globe reported at the time. Northern Republicans and members of the short-lived Free Soil Party joined ranks against Southern Democrats. Speaker James Orr used his gavel to seek order, not by applying it to the skulls of the bickering politicians, but by vainly banging for order. He then instructed Adam Glossbrenner, the sergeant at arms, to arrest non-compliant members. Waded into the combatants, Glossbrenner raised the house mace in an effort to restore order. Again, we don't know if he clobbered anyone, but it did lead to the saying, bringing a mace to a fist fight. However, he failed to subdue the fracas, and it continued. While we have little evidence of who hit who in the ensuing melee, we do know that John Bowie Knife Potter and Cadwalder Washburn, Wisconsin Republicans, ripped a hairpiece from the head of Representative William Barksdale, a Mississippi Democrat. Potter is reported to have said, Hooray boys, I have his scalp, upon the de-wigging. This did end the Barney, as the house erupted into laughter when Barksdale put the wig back on the wrong way round. The ruckus fizzled out as a smattering of laughter and jeers. Who knew it was so easy to start, and yet to stop, a fight in Congress? Hidden costs, Warhammer and Canal Boating. Hello there, friends. Those of you from my various fandoms will know me as Imperium Matthew, Narrowboat Fanatic 1984, or Sloppy Toppy 1983. Here and now, however, I'm just Matthew, and I'll be guiding you through the first part of a series in which I explore the interplay between Warhammer, other hobbies, my rapidly worsening financial state. Today's episode, Hidden Costs, Warhammer and Canal Boating. Most people assume that Warhammer is expensive and canal boats are cheap, but the reality is far closer to an esoteric middle ground. For example, I purchased my first narrowboat, the Gloating Gannet, for £30,000 in 1994. In today's money, that's approximately £30,000. A fair investment, to be sure, but far less than the cost of a house. So it was at the time. By comparison, my all-metal Thunderhawk gunship sent me back an altogether different sum of £30,000. Though, admittedly, this was 2019, before the pandemic. There are, however, overheads to consider. My current narrowboat, the distended Mallard, needs to be licensed. To keep a narrowboat on the inland waterways, you must pay an annual fee for a canal and river trust license. This license entitles you to cruise the 2,000 miles of waterways owned and run by the canal and river trust. The canals and rivers license depends upon the length of your boat, ranging from £538.75 if you pay promptly, for a boat 
of up to 18 feet long to 1,206 pounds and 71 pence for one up to an incredible length of 77.1 feet long for a 12-month license, that is, at 2020 to 2021 prices. If you want to venture further afield onto rivers such as the Thames or the Nen, you'll need to purchase a gold license. In 2020, for a boat of up to 16 feet, 606 pounds, of course, all the way up to 1,586 for a boat of up to 75 feet. If paid in full, direct debits and instalments are, of course, more. If you're going to trade from the boat, you'll need to apply for the appropriate business trading license from the Canals and Rivers Trust, which brings the cost up a little, but surprisingly, not by very much. As I make use of the Thames twice yearly to attend Comic-Con, and I operate the UK's smallest Warhammer store, Forensic Dragon Games, from my narrowboat, I have both a business and a gold license, setting me back a princely sum of £30,000 per year. And then there's insurance. Basic insurance with Craft Insure is set at £150.20, though your mileage may vary depending on which year you listen to this podcast in. For me, as a trader, the insurance is a little higher, in particular to ensure that my supremacy armour is covered. Accordingly, my premiums float around the £30,000 mark. On top of that, unless you're a filthy orc, you'll want a toilet, and that toilet will need to be emptied. We're not all space marines, and we can't all defecate in a canal. So most narrowboaters are expected to pay £252.50 per year for the dirty privilege. Finally, there's protecting paint and sacrificial anodes absolutely essential to ensure that your army doesn't fall to corrosion. Annually, you'll be looking at about £30,000. All things considered, this is a lifestyle commitment. Living in a narrowboat that doubles as a warhammer shop and maintaining a moderate Tau army is going to stretch most incomes well beyond their limit. But a life without either is barely worth living at all. For those of you on a budget, you might consider poopier versions of either, such as an Eldari army or living in a canoe. For me, though, I say live, laugh, love, and accrue debt. At the end of the day, if you've got your loved ones around you and your family are just a phone call away, the rest is just economics. And I don't know about you, <laughs> but I'm not the Chancellor. Or am I? Everything's better with Eldar. To quote Jane Austen, this is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of an Eldar death squad. Sadly, she didn't say that, but how much better would Pride and Prejudice have been if she had? If one of the greatest novels of all time can be proved with Eldar, then everything can be. So sit down, get comfy, as we share improved classics literature and screen with you. Breakfast at Tiffany's with an Eldar death squad. Early one morning a taxi pulls up in front of the Tiffany & Co flagship store and from it emerges a heavily armoured Eldar death squad carrying paper bags containing their breakfasts. 
They glance at the window before marching off to the local munitions store. As they gaze lovingly at the rocket launchers in the window, they eat their croissants, crumbs coquettishly falling upon them. After this, they stroll to their apartment and have to fend off the remnants of the orc raiding party they defeated the night before. Once inside, the squad cannot find their keys, so they blow the door up and head to bed. They all wear stylish onesies to sleep in. Later, they are awakened by a new neighbour, Paul Varjak, who rings their doorbell to get into the building. The squad and Paul chat as the squad changes out of their onesies into flexi armour and they prepare to leave for their weekly visit to mobster Sally Tomato, who is currently incarcerated at Sing Sing. As they are leaving, the squad is introduced to Paul's decorator, wealthy older woman Emily Eustace Phelanson, whom Paul nicknames Tui. That night, when the squad go out onto the fire escape to elude an attempted assassination by an undercover space marine, they peek into Paul's apartment and see Tui leaving money and kissing Paul goodbye. Visiting Paul afterward, they interrogate him and learn he is a writer who has not had anything published since a book of vignettes five years before. The squad fall asleep with Paul still bound and unconscious in a chair, but are awakened when they have a mass psychic flashback to their first mission. They storm out of the building and find themselves in a large stationary warehouse. They steal a typewriter ribbon from Paul to apologise for the torture and invite him to a wild party at their apartment that night. There, Paul meets their Hollywood agent who describes the squad's transformation from a scout troop into a finely honed killing machine, along with wealthy Brazilian politician Jose da Silva Pereira and Rusty Trawler, the ninth most deadly nuclear-armed man in America under 50. After drinking at a club, Paul and the squad return to their apartment, where the squad show off their weapons, accidentally destroying a neighbouring block of flats. The squad drunkenly tells Paul they plan to kidnap Rusty Trawler for his nukes. The next day, Paul sees a newspaper headline stating that Rusty Trawler has already been kidnapped by someone else. The squad and Paul agree to spend the day together, taking turns killing people in ways they have never done before. After spending the night together, Paul awakens to find the squad gone. The squad now scheme to assassinate Jose to destabilise Brazil, but after receiving a telegram notifying them of the destruction of their craft world at the hands of marauding orcs, they trash their apartment. Months pass, the squad invite Paul to dinner as they are leaving the next morning to go to Brazil to garrote Jose. However, the squad and Paul are arrested in connection with Sally Tomato's drug ring, and after a major shootout, the squad spends the night in jail. The next morning, when they are released on lack of evidence, Paul is waiting for them in a cab, bringing the squad's pet, Tyranid, and a newspaper stating that Jose was assassinated by a town murder team the day before. The squad insist that they will go to Brazil anyway. They ask the cab to pull over and push the Tyranid out into the pouring rain. It scampers off. Just after they get underwear again, Paul Commander rolls out of the car, shouting that the squad needs to examine their life and make a decision. The squad go through a decision-making moment and force the cabbie to stop. Paul runs to embrace the squad, who then blow Paul up. Post-credit scene. The Tyranid is terrorizing shoppers in Tiffany's before eating one. A clock prominently shows the time as early morning. The Tyranid has had breakfast at Tiffany's. End of the show! With that episode two draws to a close if you enjoyed it please share it far and wide with everyone you know and let them know about what we're doing here 
and if you've got any feedback uh, I'd love to hear it so just hit me up at at John loves 40k on Twitter or email me at JFK at orcsardorks.co.uk um, if you want to be involved in a future show um, I'm always looking for more people to be involved in this uh, amazing adventure that is Orcs or Dorks so no matter what uh, thank you once again for listening and join me John Frankie Kennedy next month for more reasons why Orcs are Dorks Oxodogs 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 This podcast was written, produced and presented by John Frankie Kennedy with additional material from Tower Emperor Matt who can be found on Twitter. If you'd like more information about the music used during this podcast please visit our website www.orksardorks.co.uk Thank you very much.